That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Welcome to Actionable Intelligence. I'm Eric Greitens. It is an honor to be with you tonight. We've got an outstanding show. First, I want to go right now to Just the News White House correspondent, Carrie Sheffield. She's got coverage of the Amistad Project's press conference this afternoon. It featured three whistleblowers detailing allegations of what they say is significant voter fraud in several key battleground states. Take a listen here. Hey there, Eric. Yes, I'm here in Arlington where we just heard a press conference here. Uh, you can see the, the setup from the Amistad Project, uh, which is with the Thomas More Society. And they had some witnesses on stage who were alleging that potentially hundreds of thousands of ballots were affected, possibly fraudulently. Uh, they alleged there was a truck driver from who worked in Pennsylvania who was alleging that there were ballots that apparently originated in the state of New York and were carried across state lines illegally to then presumably be counted in the state of Pennsylvania when they should not have been counted if they were from another state. Um, there was also a witness who was from Wisconsin who said up to 100,000 ballots were allegedly backdated, that they had been received. This was a subcontractor for the United States Postal Service in Wisconsin who alleged that up to 100,000 ballots were backdated that had been received on November 4th but were backdated to November 3rd in order to make the deadline for election day. And running this whole project here is Phil Klein. He joins me now. Um, Phil, what was the biggest takeaway that you want people to get from this event? Well, that there is substantial evidence of fraud. And the fraud and the evidence is massive. These are eyewitnesses. Um, one of them actually transported the ballots. And the way that the ballots were received in Pennsylvania indicates that there were those who did not want others to know that completed ballots ready for counting moved from New York to Pennsylvania. Hundreds of thousands. And when you say ready to be counted, they were removed from an envelope? There was no seal or was there no? no? They, were, they were all stacked up in bulk mail trays vertically so that it would be easy to carry them into the counting center. And then, in fact, you have eyewitness testimony and photographs of those very same types of trays being inserted into the counting stream in Delaware County on November 5th. So this evidence deserves extensive investigation. Moreover, our witness that spoke about transporting these ballots um, was corroborated by somebody who actually is up at that postal facility who said this happened multiple times. So you have hundreds of thousands. He carried in one load between 130 to 280,000 ballots into Pennsylvania. And this happened multiple times. It's deeply concerning. And, and why is it, just to let our viewers know, why would it be concerning if they would have originated in New York State? Are you saying that these are ballots that were fabricated or originated from voters in New York and were counted in Pennsylvania? No, if, if you consider how the ballots would flow through the mail, the legitimate ballot 
a person would cast and then they would drop it in a mailbox or whatever. And it would never find its way from one state two states away. Now there are some areas where the central processing center along the borders might move it across the state line and back. But we're talking over 200 yards, or 200 miles, I'm sorry, from New York down to Pennsylvania. And not only that, this postal facility does not receive mail. Where he picked up this load, they have no equipment to process mail. They're not supposed to have this type of mail. And our experts say that's how you insert mail fraudulently into the stream, is you pick a facility like this. And they told us that before we told them this story. And they said, my gosh, that's exactly how you do it. This mail should have never been in New York at that facility. And no ballot should travel from New York to Pennsylvania to be counted, much less hundreds of thousands of them. So, so what is your assessment then on how this actually happened? Where did these ballots come from? Are they from actual Pennsylvania voters or are they from New York voters? I mean, what is your sense on these ballots? And because you know, we're talking upwards of 288,000 ballots, at least in this one truck driver's story. Uh, and you said there have been other stories with other truck drivers as well. But in terms of manufacturing cold, hundreds of thousands of ballots without detection, how would that have been even possible? It's not that difficult. It's not that difficult. In fact, uh, the ballot design and so forth is in the hands of a, li a lot of private parties. But, but the, you have a good question. And the way we answer that question is to get the ballots. You know, I could speculate with you all day. I don't believe that there's any valid reason for a Pennsylvania voter to have much less hundreds of thousands of their ballots go up to New York to a postal facility that doesn't process mail to be shipped back to Pennsylvania. So that leads us to the question, how could and why would this happen? And the reason why is if you can complete those ballots and insert them fraudulently, then you could dictate the, the results of an election. And we have demonstrated in our litigation that there were hundreds, tens of thousands, and in some instance, hundreds of thousands of ballots that were not requested, but suddenly were grabbed and voted for others who did not vote. So there you have a pool of ballots you can use. We explained in the news conference how you can easily create persons that, that don't really exist by using their maiden name or birth names in an area they once lived, cast a vote for them, and you're likely not to be caught. And we have an affidavit that I referred to where they did just that with a woman. They, they registered her under her birth name back in her home state that she hasn't lived in in over 30 years, and she's never registered under her birth name. So access to the poll books, those types of things, wouldn't, this isn't that difficult to do. And during this event, the Attorney General Barr did come out and make a statement to the Associated Press saying that he did not see evidence of fraud that would sway the election. Your response to that? Well, I think that's a premature statement, and I think it's the wrong question. The real question is, do we have evidence of fraud? And the answer is yes. Then the next question is, does it deserve investigation? And the answer is clearly yes. So, but in terms of AG Barr and getting the information to be subpoenaed or sequestered or to continue any sort of investigation, is this new information from this press conference, do you anticipate that AG Barr might move on this? Well, I would hope so, but I don't have an anticipation. We just found our responsibility to make this public and let the American people 
become aware of it, and we intend to pursue the investigation. And I, I think there's also another question, and the Attorney General probably wasn't asked that, and that is, is there evidence that would indicate the Supreme Court should invalidate election results? And I believe there is. Um, that's a different question than whether it would change the outcome. The question is this, did we have an integral election where we are confident that the result reflected the will of the people? The answer to that question is no. So what should we do about it? And I want to turn to Wisconsin where you had your testimony of the postal worker, the contractor of the postal service who was on stage here. And he, you said that he's given his testimony over to authorities. Uh, and he said that he had 100,000 ballots um, that he heard from two different postal workers that were backdated to meet the deadline. Um, these postal uh, or these ballots apparently, according to his statement, came in very early in the morning. Is there evidence to say, well, they had arrived and they just needed to be counted at that point because they had arrived and it was early in the morning and uh, arguably they arrived at the facility before midnight? Well, there's a lot of evidence that indicates that's not the case. And, and the reason um, of that is twofold. First of all, the very statements of the people who spoke with them. First, they claimed that he had forgotten ballots when he had not. That was an, a, a ruse to be able to say that they suddenly found ballots that were not there and inject them into the process. Secondly, he was told by two separate people that the ballots were rounded up on November 4th, which is the day after the election. And the law is clear they have to be at the counting facility by 8 p.m. on November 3rd. So backdating the ballots is a federal crime. And why would you backdate something and commit a crime if you didn't feel it was necessary? So there's a lot of evidence indicating that this was likely a fraudulent infusion of ballots. So, and how would you go about proving that, though, that these were backdated? Is there a way for you to prove that they were backdated? Well, there's a lot of ways. Postal facilities have cameras. There are personnel in postal facilities that need to be asked questions. These type of investigations take time. And when you're looking at a criminal investigation, it takes a longer period of time that really this election season post-election doesn't allow sufficient time to fully develop that evidence. So again, it's evidence of the wrong question. If you want to convict somebody, I have to prove with the confidence of a unanimous jury that they believe they committed the crime beyond a reasonable doubt. That's not the standard with elections. The standard with elections is really, do the people who have the responsibility of running it and do the people who have the responsibility of reviewing it believe the election was conducted properly? That's the standard. And the answer is no. In fact, there's overwhelming evidence that there were intentional violations of the law by election officials. They admit as much in kicking people out of the counting room and so forth. So those who are considering this should not consider, do we have evidence to convict somebody of fraud? That's the wrong question. Do we have confidence in the way the election was run? And the answer is no. We'll be back in just one minute. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax. 
the way car buying should be. Welcome back to Actionable Intelligence. I'm Eric Greitens. At a public hearing in front of Arizona legislators yesterday, the president's legal team and a handful of data experts provided what they believe to be clear evidence of voting irregularities. Also in Arizona, a Maricopa County Superior Court judge has granted a request from the leader of the state Republican Party to inspect a sampling of Arizona ballots for irregularities. Now, getting the chance to hear directly from voters who experienced some of these voting irregularities firsthand made for a powerful moment. Just listen to when Matt Brainerd, the leader of the Voter Integrity Project, played a phone call of two separate voters who received an absentee ballot in Arizona, despite the fact that they adamantly denied requesting one. Hello, this is Mary Kemper with Voter Integrity Fund. May I please speak to Charles? This is who are you with? Uh, Voter Integrity Fund, uh, Charles Martz in the state of Arizona and is Mart is having requested an absentee ballot. Did you request an absentee ballot? Absolutely did not. No. Okay, and did you, okay, no. Okay, somebody from our team will follow up with you and can you please uh, give us the best phone number? Is it this? So I'll play for you the second example. Hello? Hello? Hi. Hi. Um, is this Zofa? Yeah. Hi. Uh, my name is Taj. I'm with the Voter Integrity Fund. Um, in the state of Eric, I mean Arizona, it said that you requested the absentee ballot. I'm just making sure that you requested that ballot. No, I did not request an absentee ballot. Okay. Somebody from our team will follow up with you. Is this a good number to follow back up with you on? Yes. All right. All right. Well, I appreciate your time and you have a good day. Okay. Excuse me, Matt. Before you go. Now, joining us now to discuss the evidence he provided to the Arizona legislators and what his what his organization, the Voter Integrity Fund, is doing to bring these instances of potential voter fraud to light is Matt Brainerd. Matt, thank you so much uh, for joining us. Really appreciate you being here on the show. Let, let's begin with this, Matt. Um, we've got viewers who like the facts. They want evidence. They appreciate the fact that we bring them real numbers. You and your team have done a lot of hard work. Give us a synopsis, please, of what you've found thus far. Well, what our project set out to do was to establish what I would consider actual evidence of potentially illegal ballots. And I know, not, not to criticize, but I know that a lot of others have presented you know, arguments that are based on uh, servers, something happening to voting machines, uh, patterns and vote results and how they came out. And um, all that is great, but I but I have the belief that, that to really make a difference, we have to have something concrete. Yes. So we sought out to do a very different kind of analysis where we were reaching out to people whom we suspect might have been victims of voter fraud to confirm using our phone centers whether or not they actually did what the state said they did to mm. confirm whether or not they cast ballots or cast their name whether or not they requested absentee ballots whether or not they returned those ballots in addition to that we also did analyses looking at whether or not people uh may have cast ballots who are not eligible to cast ballots on the basis of no longer having residency in their state or people casting multiple ballots and in all cases we found um hard evidence names addresses phone numbers uh, of people who have either claimed to be victims of it or whom we can identify as either somebody, either they cast a ballot despite not meeting residency requirements 
or someone else did so in their name, um, enough so that in at least three of the most pivotal states, uh, our estimate of the number of ballots we can account for being cast illegally surpasses the margin of victory. The conclusion we've reached based on this is that we don't know for certain whether or not Joe Biden won. We can't say whether or not he's the deserved winner. It's not been proven given um, the amount of illegal ballots we've uh, potentially identified and the state's inability to run an election that doesn't create a space for these kind of problems to happen. Yeah, great. And Matt, as you as you um, talk, talk with our viewers a little bit about how this works, I mean, they heard the phone calls that you made. One of the things that, that your your project has done, as you said, you've gone out and you've gotten concrete evidence. And obviously, you can't survey the entire state, but you've gone out and you've provided the data publicly for how many folks you've called, the kind of response that you're getting. Just give our viewers a sense for the actual mechanics of how you go about identifying uh, people who have experienced these voter irregularities and this evidence of, of fraud. Right. So there are really two strategies we have. One is where we actually reach out to voters to speak to them. And then there's the other strategy, which is uh, purely based on the data of looking at that state's voter data and comparing it to other states or other mm -hmm. pieces of information that would indicate to us. So what we did was in all the six pivotal states, we took a look at all the people who voted earlier or absentee. And then we uh, looked to see whether or not they had filed change of address to a, at a location out of state. Because we have plenty of anecdotal evidence of people, say, who are in uh, a place like New York City who don't think their ballot really matters, but they're eligible or not legally eligible, but they are they used to live in Georgia and have an address maybe at their parents' house where they can request a ballot, and they choose to vote there. Well, that happens a lot. And mm -hmm. in a race where it's as close as it is, that can, in fact, be determinative. Um, we also we pick target evident uh, target groups of people where let's say for example a population that had never voted before so we build a universe of voters who have never voted before until they voted earlier absentee this election and we just we randomly dialed them and started asking hey did you actually cast a ballot or not and many and many of them came back to us and said no I did not in fact cast mm -hmm. that ballot so the question is how did that ballot get cast. Yeah, Matt, one of the things that, that you've done also in, in one of your presentations I saw, you actually shared a, a clip of an interview of a voter who I believe was in Tennessee um, who went and checked his records in Arizona. And the record showed that he had and he had moved from Arizona to Tennessee. And if I if I remember uh, the facts right, the record showed that he had requested a ballot and that he had, in fact, voted in Arizona. And he said that absolutely he had not done so. I mean, uh, give give our give our viewers a sense again for like how that can be and must be be tracked. Right. And the problem is that not only did it show that he voted, but according to the state, the government of Arizona, which whose governor just signed under penalty of perjury a certification of those uh, election results, he was signature verified as having cast mm -hmm. a ballot. So the state said we got an absentee ballot and that had the, a matching signature on it for this young man, uh, Nashon Garrett. Uh, these problems are not unique to Arizona. We found them in all states. We found in all states people receiving absentee ballots that they did not request in tremendous numbers. In Arizona, uh, we found that among those who didn't return their absentee ballots, 44% uh, of them never requested them in the first place, even though the state sent them and sent them because they recorded having uh, been requested. 
so there's a lot of problems. You know, we've discovered another particularly damning issue in Pennsylvania and uh, um, Georgia. We're mm-hmm. also noticing it in Michigan, where people are maybe who knows exactly who it is, but there are voters registered to uh, postal locations like UPS stores right. and uh, FedEx, um, and they're disguising their addresses mm. as apartment numbers. So rather than it being PO Box one two three, it's apartment number one two three. Now this is illegal in all these states. You have to you can ex- get your ballot wherever you want. Uh, on the moon or at the space station if you want it. But where you're listed as your residency has to be where you actually live, even if you're right. homeless. It's got to be the homeless center or a park bench or, right. you know, the car you sleep in, but where, where it's parked. So they not only are these illegal registrations, but they disguise them in a way to avoid being detected as a PO box and being bounced out of the system. And these voters uh, in the thousands voted almost exclusively by mail. Not in person, like the rest of the population does to a significant extent, and that's just screaming something's going on here, and it it demands uh, investigation from the state. The one thing I can't do, as I mentioned yesterday, I can't round up a posse and go solve this thing Columbo mm-hmm. style. I can present the data, I can do the analysis, I can I'm going to hand deliver um, to some places or FedEx it to the governor, the attorney general, secretary of states of all these states on a USB stick, but I can't take it any further. So it's up to them, the legislatures in those states to to do the next step, which is a, a genuine investigation. Yeah, now Matt, one of the things that I thought was uh, was compelling that you've said before, you've been doing this for a long time. You've been looking at this kind of data for, for a long time. Uh, compare the confidence that you have in 2020 with what you might have seen from 1992, 1996, 2008, 2012, and how that compares with where you stand today when you look at the 2020 election. Well, here's a dirty little secret. And uh this is sadly the truth, and part of it is a uh, consequence of, uh, I think, habits of dishonest behavior in some of the uh, election machines in uh, certain municipalities, certain major cities, along with the lack of security in the general election system as a whole. Mm. I believe that almost any state were it to be an important election and come down to just a few hundred votes or a few thousand votes would have the same kind of problems we're finding in these six states that we're looking mm-hmm. at. I'm sure, I know that all the states have these problems, I, or I believe with great confidence, it, all of them, or if not almost all of them, have these kinds of problems. So a, a big part of it just comes down to the fact that there's no authentication of absentee ballots. There's no real authentication, whereas you know, I, I would propose to um, have states implement a fingerprint. I actually applied for a concealed carry permit in Utah. Mm-hmm. I had to get my fingerprints. Not a big deal. Piece of cake, right? And I think the authentic, authenticating ballots with something that's machine matchable, like a fingerprint, will, you know, either the, the ballot matches the fingerprint on record or it doesn't and it balances. That removes a lot of the issues with things like credit uh, signatures, signature verification, very, you know, very difficult, right. uh, somewhat arbitrary. Um, and the other recommendation I, I'm making is that uh, all these election systems, uh, specifically the Dominion ones that, that, that have uh, sort of the, the heart of controversy here, the big problem is that because they're closed source, they've created a space for reasonable suspicions about what actually happened. You don't really know. So I, I, I find it unfathomable that any democracy would put its hands, uh, put its future in the hands, its election in the hands of an election of closed source software and closed source systems. You can't examine the software. 
we need to switch to open source software for any kind of electric uh, electronic voting machine or any kind of hardware. It needs to absolutely be open source. Be something so that, the that code... people can actually dig dig into. Well, folks, that, that's Matt Brainerd, the Voter Integrity Fund. Go out to social media, follow him. He's putting out critical information every day. We'll be back in just a minute. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to Actionable Intelligence. I'm Eric Greitens. Earlier, we spoke with the founder of the Voter Integrity Project, Matt Brainerd, about his testimony in front of Arizona lawmakers during yesterday's election-focused public hearing. Now, today, the Michigan Senate Oversight Committee also held a hearing about the 2020 election. And during the hearing, there were a number of examples of potential election fraud and irregularities, including from freelance IT workers, from poll workers, poll watchers who highlighted issues that they witnessed during the vote tabulation process. Uh, Take a listen here to how this Dominion software contractor described her experience working with the company. Welcome to the Senate Oversight Committee. You have three minutes. Thank you. My name is Melissa Carone. I am a resident of Wayne County. I have a background in IT and cybersecurity. I was contracted by PDS staffing to work with Dominion Voting Systems assisting with IT at the TCF Center. What I witnessed um, at the TCF Center was complete fraud. The whole 27 hours I was there, um, there was um, batches of ballots being ran through the tabulating machines numerous times, um, being counted eight to ten times. Also, the uh, adjudication process, I witnessed numerous people walking up claiming they were both Democrats, saying they were going, they were sitting together, judging ballots all night together, all day together. I witnessed it all. I was on the main stage with all of the city officials. Daniel Baxter was in on the whole thing, and I am under the impression 100% that um, at least 90% of those workers were all in on this. There was not a single ballot the whole night, the whole 27 hours I was there, that I saw that was for Donald Trump, not one, not a single ballot. That is, that is scary. There was something going on at that um, Department of Elections, and it's clearly um, something that's very um, illegal that occurred there. Now, that was just one example of the testimony that came in today and another example of anomalies and irregularities that have already been reported and documented in places like Pennsylvania and Georgia. It's something that data expert Justin Hart has been following closely. Uh, He joins us now. Justin, thank you so much uh, for joining us. First, let's just start with your reaction to this hearing in Michigan today, Justin. Well, this is some of the most damning testimony that I've heard to date from the hearings that we saw or the forums that we saw in Arizona and Pennsylvania uh, to the hearing today. I think there was some really distinct things there. What your, you know, your viewers have to understand is that we're, we're looking over 
this voting pipeline, right? We, mm-hmm. we kind of see it from one end or another, and there's just a bunch of smoke coming from different ends. One of the big smoke plumes that's coming up are what we might call election day shenanigans, right? There were things that were happening during the count that are really amiss and we really need to account for. And again, there's not a lot of transparency into any of these systems. So it's hard to account for what's happening with the logged votes. And can we, for example, identify these votes that she said were run through the scanner multiple times? Because that is completely unethical and they all know it. And I think there's serious ramifications if we don't investigate this further. Yeah, and Justin, explain for, for all of our viewers who, who have never been there uh, in an election counting center where people are actually counting ballots, how can something like this happen? And what does it really mean for somebody to take a group of ballots and run it through multiple times? Shouldn't that be caught as, uh, as fraud? Kind of just explain to our viewers kind of some of the mechanics of how something like that might happen as we had a, a witness testify today that it that it did happen. Well, there's a spectrum of explanations. On one end is the more nefarious, this was fraudulent, and someone purposely decided to run ballots through and have it run up the tally. There's probably what she described is ineptitude. Basically, when you have a set of ballots, you run them through the scanner, and one of them jams. Now, mm-hmm. the purpose of that is if it jams, you're supposed to back out the votes and do it again, or at least take the votes that have already gone through and set those aside. Uh, but it's been what, what she was describing was that when the, the printer or the scanner would jam, that they would take the whole batch of votes and scan them through again. So if it was, I think she described number 25 in the, in the rung was maybe bad and got caught because these are all folded papers, that they would run the first 24 again. And, and so it's just a, a real uh, ineptitude is one of the things that I think we're seeing in all these smoke plumes, both with the software itself and with, frankly, the people that were running these uh, aptitudes here. Yeah. Now, Justin, you've been watching not only what's happened in Michigan today uh, during, during this hearing, but you've also been watching what's been happening around the country. Sticking just with Michigan for the moment, what was the most significant things that you thought came out of the Michigan hearing today? Well, I think the, the Michigan hearings brought to bear uh, a lot of that election day smoke plume, as I've discussed. Mm-hmm. What I've been looking at um, from my perspective is the other end of the pipeline, right. where we're looking at the end results of the votes themselves, right? And, and what we're missing is the fire in between, and we're getting some of that today at the election hearing. But what we see is kind of what scientists do to discover black holes, right? Mm-hmm. They can't really see the black hole but it bends everything around it in a very specific way. And that's what we see on the voter side of things, is that everything is bending in a very specific way. And mm. frankly, oddly towards uh, Vice President Biden's uh, tally of votes there. So it's very difficult to perceive this as anything but an anomaly. And we would love to track this all back. Uh, in Wisconsin, in Michigan, in Wisconsin, for example, in the middle of the night, there were 143,000 votes that went through just at 3 a.m., for Vice President Biden and a very, very, very small portion. Now, someone might attribute that to, let's say, mail-in votes around Milwaukee, but we have no way of knowing and tracing that back. Uh, The sort of what they call the chain of custody is broken so many times before it even reaches the dashboards that you and I see on Mm -hmm. Newsmax or other news networks that are getting their feeds on election nights for all the colorful maps. So it's a difficult proposition to really unfold.
Yeah, and just I actually I think that the black hole analogy is is a really good one, and it speaks to the frustration that a lot of our viewers have. I mean, a lot of people are saying, "Look, why don't we just do a recount? Why don't we just do a complete audit?" Like, explain for for our viewers some of the challenges as you look at the election data that comes out. You've referred to it as kind of the smoke signals that, that you see. Like, what do we need to do to actually get to the bottom? And is it possible to get to the bottom of what really happened in these elections? It might explain some of these irregularities or, or anomalies. I think it will, as we saw, for example, from the 2000 election. Mm -hmm. uh, eventually, those votes were from FOIA requests and otherwise brought up to bear for different uh, studies, people wanted to look at it. So eventually we'll know the truth. The truth will out, Eric. Uh, I just think, unfortunately, it's going to be a very, very tight measure for them to out that truth very quickly here before all the votes are certified. More importantly, they have to have a lot of things go their way. It's not just Michigan. It's Pennsylvania, maybe something out west in Arizona and Nevada. We know there are, there are as we say, a lot of smoke plumes from different factors here both on the software, that is the process they use to actually tally the votes, then on the election day shenanigans is step number two. And then it goes through this big dark pipeline, comes out the other end. We have a listening ear right before it hits the dashboards on the New York Times. And that tells us something really weird is going on. Mm. Uh, and so, you know, votes are, and, and elections are not happening in a vacuum. You have to see them as a trajectory from previous elections. Well, many people thought in 2016 that, 80,000 votes would have turned the election towards pres for, for, towards Clinton. At the same time, President Trump garnered 2 million more votes than Governor Romney in 2012. Mm. So when we look now in that trajectory there, we see some really odd anomalies. As we said, President Trump got 10 million more votes as an right. incumbent. And, and by all counts and measures, he should have won. But the facts are the facts. And we have to get to those. Hopefully there'll be some jury, some judge that will be able to give them some time to make their case or not. Yeah, and Justin, as you kind of step back, one of the things that we, we hear from our viewers every day is how frustrated they are because you know, a lot of them, some of them are Democrats, some of them are Republicans, we've got liberals, we've got conservatives, but everyone wants to be able to believe in the integrity of our elections. When you look at what's happening across the country and you look at these problems, not just in Michigan, but in Pennsylvania, in Arizona, just give us a little bit of a forward-looking pers uh, perspective. If you could wave a magic wand, what are the things that we need to do to make sure that everyone can have confidence in our elections? Well, just like we have a standardization for different industries, whether it's agricultural or electronic, uh, we need to have a standardization for our election electioneering system. Mm. Um, we all went through, or some of us went through old enough to go through the 2000 nightmare there, right? Uh, hanging chads and big bags of votes in Broward County. Well, you'll notice Florida was the very first state done with all their votes. By the time it mm -hmm. hit eight o'clock, they were done. They had their results. They knew what it was because they weren't going to go through that pain. I hope this pain that we're putting these states through now makes them rethink everything about how they do elections and that there's some type of, you know, bar that's going to come down on these people. Uh, obviously, we got word that 
uh, Attorney General Barr is not going to uh, do it. So we need to lower a bar in a different way, if you catch my drift. You bet. And, and Justin, just in the, in the 15 seconds that we have left, what's the data that you're going to be looking for in the next couple of days as it, as it comes out? What, what are the next things that you and our, our viewers need to, be, need to be looking at? Well, the data will be coming straight out of the courts. What will they accept as affidavits? Uh, will they take, for example, algorithms and uh, the type of anomalies that we've discussed as evidence of wrongdoing, as evidence of something that's amiss? That's, those are the things I'll be looking at very closely on the newswires. Awesome. Well, Justin, thank you so much uh, for being with us. Thank you for the work that you're doing to dig into all of these irregularities and anomalies. We look forward to having you back uh, on Actionable Intelligence and, and joining us again. Folks, again, Anytime, that's just, Justin Hart. Uh, election data expert with his analysis. We will be back in just a few seconds with more about the 2020 election. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to Actionable Intelligence. I'm Eric Greitens. And as you know, our team here at Actionable Intelligence and Just the News, we work hard to bring you the news that the mainstream media often won't cover. But as we always say here on this show, we respect your intelligence. And as you know, the state of Georgia has been in the headlines quite a bit. And you probably also know that there are two Senate races that will be decided by a runoff election this January. Well, if you head over to justthenews.com, you'll find a story that details new important allegations about one of the Democratic candidates. The author of that article, Sophie Mann, joins us now to discuss this more. Sophie, thanks so much for being with us. Of course. Yeah, so tell our viewers what you've uncovered. Yeah, well, so as you say, there are these two competitive Georgia Senate races that will, in fact, determine who controls the Senate, the Republicans or the Democrats this term. Um, one of those candidates, Raphael Warnock, who is running against uh, Kelly Loeffler, who's the incumbent GOP senator who was appointed into that position, um, has at this point been linked to this group called the New Georgia Project, which is a voter outreach group that was started by one time a failed Georgia gubernatorial candidate Stacey Abrams was founded a number of years ago and until February of 2020 Raphael Warnock um, served as the CEO of this company so what was announced on Monday by the Georgia Secretary of State uh, Brad Raffensperger who's been a little bit in the news lately because of the recount um, what he said was that his office has begun a probe into this group the new Georgia project as well as three others about um, voter fraud so he's saying some things happened with these groups that we don't 100% feel are kosher and may in fact have been illegal. Mm -hmm. Uh, What this particular group stands accused of allegedly doing is sending voter registration forms to non-Georgia residents. Mm -hmm. So that means that uh, you in Missouri or me in New York or I mean for for this particular accusation it was um, states up and down the East Coast. Um, They were sending out voter registrations for, for Georgia saying vote in our election whether you're a citizen of the United States whether you're not but I mean, particularly, you need to be a citizen of Georgia, which is not yes. which is not who they were focused on. Yes. Um, and the group is, you know, reportedly nonpartisan, though um, Democrat tilting in 
you know, as, as things stand actually on the ground. So the group is now accused of doing that. This is not the first time this group has um, been charged with accusations of this type, though in the past, uh, though there was actually a criminal referral about them in 2017, yeah. um, no charges ever came of that. Abrams dismissed the charges as, um, you know, part of the voter suppression a uh, broad plot that she speaks about so frequently. Uh, Warnock at the time said that um, the language used was alarmist and not accurate. Uh, he's yet to comment on this latest round of charges. He is no longer technically affiliated with the company, but I mean, he, he really quit just a few months ago in, in time to run for Senate. Um, and what's interesting from an analytic perspective yeah. is that, um, as I said, Raffensperger, who is a Republican, mm -hmm. has been under some pressure lately um, about his stance on this election. As we right. know, George has been subject now to two recounts, the latter of which will be finished by tomorrow at midnight. But um, Raffensperger has come out uh, sort of against the accusation that there was this widespread voter fraud. Mm. He's saying, no, our election was good. Georgia runs things well. Except that now he's filing these charges saying, or, or excuse me, um, beginning this probe. No, yes. no charges have been filed yet. But saying, maybe this election didn't go as well as we thought. Maybe there are, in fact, groups all over the place in our state sending out, you know, illegal ballots. Mm. Um, so it's unclear what will develop from that, but it does certainly seem at very least like there are uh, two distinct narratives, and, you know, one, one involves one of the candidates currently still contending to represent the people of Georgia. Yeah, so again, just in summation, Mr. Warnock, he's running for the United States Senate yes. in Georgia, mm -hmm. and he was the CEO of this organization during the time that this allegedly illegal activity occurred, mm -hmm. where they were allegedly reaching out to people up and down the East Coast, suggesting that they register to vote in Georgia, even if they didn't actually live in Georgia. And that's what the Secretary of State has investigated now. Has he given any indication as to the next steps in that investigation or when he might release some findings? Um, that's a good question. He, The press conference announcing the probe itself did just happen mm -hmm. yesterday, so Monday. Um, it could be a number of weeks or months uh, before any any more formal announcements are made. Typically what happens, what actually happened last time a probe of this sort involving the New Georgia Project occurred was there, there was a probe and then a few years later there were criminal referrals made which then did not develop into anything. I would think mm. this timeline will be a little bit more compressed given A, the news cycle and, you know, be the um, just the, the timeliness of the issue and right. sort of the amount of media attention on Raffensperger right now and, you know, with the upcoming election, people nationally and, of course, in Georgia more specifically want to know exactly what these candidates have been yeah, up to. Yeah, because it's also, it's not just a look into this candidate, it's actually a look into the integrity of the election in Georgia, yeah. which you'd hope people would get to quite, quite quickly. Now, Sophie, you've also been following what the Trump legal team has mm -hmm. been doing across the country. We've been pleased to have, you know, Rudy Giuliani, Jenna Ellis, Victoria Tenzing, Joseph DeGeneva on this program from time to time to give us some updates, but things are moving so quickly quickly. If you mm -hmm. could, just give our viewers a quick update on the latest that's been happening on the legal scene across the country. Yeah, of course. Well, so as I say, Georgia is about to finish its recount tomorrow. Yeah. We'll see if that yields any tangible difference. Um, there were a number of developments across certain states today. Uh, in Nevada, one judge uh, for Clark County, where so much mm -hmm. of the, the, fo the focus has been yeah. um, paid to, uh, said that the Trump campaign and the Biden campaign as well, if they wish to have access to it, but the Trump campaign specifically will be permitted access to look at 
tests run on the voting machines used in Clark mm -hmm. County. So as you know, so many of the yes. legal questions around this election have pertained to the Dominion system's voting machines. Right. So now the Trump campaign has gained access just today, just actually minutes ago in Nevada to these machines, to, and they will run a series of tests on them and look at a look at a, literally a lockbox of evidence um, to, to see what they determine, how well those were working, mm -hmm. and you know what's going to come of that uh, in in Michigan today, a number of witnesses testified in front of the state Senate uh, Oversight Committee about yes. their experiences on Election Day as poll watchers, as poll challengers, and the sorts of irregular activity they experienced, sort of the common refrain we've heard. We heard yesterday in Arizona, we've heard across the states um, about you know, not being able to quite see the ballots the way that they were supposed to, being turned away, having, you know, the, the room erupt in cheers when Republican challengers were pushed out, literally forcibly removed mm -hmm. from the room. Um, and just all, all, all sorts of uh, sort of stirring and rousing emotional testimony of that nature. Tomorrow, Rudy Giuliani will also be in Michigan to testify in front of this same panel, and perhaps he will um, be able to shed some more light on what's going on there. Uh, you know, we have some breaking news up on the site about the Amistad Project, uh, affiliated yes. with the Thomas More Society. They're introducing a plethora of new types of, um, types of affidavits today as well, uh, more of... More of the same type of thing, but uh, I, I suspect we'll see a lot more. The week is still young, and I, I imagine is, a lot more action will take place. It is still young, and I think there, there's going to be a lot that's happening. Sophie, thank you so much for, for following of this. Course. We appreciate you and the whole whole Just the News team. And I also I want to bring in Tudor Dixon up in Michigan uh, for some reaction. Uh, Tudor, what do you make of what's happening? You just heard Sophie's analysis of what's happening in Georgia. I know you've been talking with a lot of folks, a lot of your viewers on America's Voice Live. Give us give us your quick reaction reaction to what we're what we're hearing there. Well, I think when we're hearing this information, it's very shocking. Obviously, the inquisitive mind wants to go further and find out more about what's going on. How can they actually be recruiting people that are not Georgians? And what does that mean for the Senate race? Because right. this is something they've obviously had experience doing. Now, we heard from Heather Mullins earlier today that they're doing this with college students in Georgia. So they're going mm -hmm. to college students who aren't residents of Georgia and saying, well, just have your residency for a little bit and right. vote and then you can change it back, which is illegal. So if there are students out there that are thinking of doing this, they shouldn't do this. But you can imagine when you are younger and you're passionate about voting and generally these these young people that are going through universities are very liberal. And so they're probably saying this is a great opportunity to take control of the Senate. It would be very easy to convince them that this is not illegal. And yet it is. Yeah, and I think I think what's what's happening as well as you hear all of these stories. You know, we we're talking earlier today uh, with Justin Hart, who's been looking at election irregularities across the country, with the folks from the Voter Integrity Fund who were just testifying in Arizona. I think it's starting to undermine a lot of people's confidence in the election. And I think whether people are Republicans, Democrats, liberals, conservatives, or independents, people want to have the knowledge that. After Election Day, we can have confidence in the election results. And it just seems to me that a lot of this is starting uh, to shake. What's your, what's your sense from up in Michigan about the latest that, that's happening there? Well, I hope that everybody wants to make sure that the elections are safe and that they are mm -hmm. accurate. However, I think in some cases, the folks who say, OK, we've won this, just want to move on because they don't want any of these discrepancies exposed. But, yeah, when you look at Arizona and what we saw yesterday, when you look at what we saw in Arlington today with Phil Klein and you hear these stories 
They're shocking. And yet yeah. at the same time, you have the attorney general come out today and say, well, the DOJ has no findings whatsoever of election fraud, which does stir the controversy because you have the people on the right who are very much like, we want to know that our votes counted. We want to know what happened in this election. And then you have Bill Barr come out and say, hey, don't worry about it. No election fraud here. We think this is all clean and tight. And then you have the Trump team respond to that and say, as far as we're aware, they've never done anything to look at any of the evidence that we've brought forth. We haven't heard from the DOJ and we don't know. We have no evidence to show that they have actually tried to show mm. there is no fraud in this election. So I think it's very confusing. I actually think it's causing more divide in this country right now. Yeah, it, cer it certainly seems seems that way. In the 20 seconds uh, we've got left, Tudor, give everybody a sense for what's going to be on uh, America's Voice Live tomorrow and where they can catch you. Gosh, I think it's going to be the Michigan hearing with Rudy Giuliani, but it's definitely going to be a lot about what's going on in Michigan. So tune in tomorrow at Real America's Voice from 1 to 3. Awesome, Tudor. Thanks so much. Well, guys, also I want to let you know that tonight... Uh, we're going to have a new show following this. My friend and our Real America's Voice president of programming, Dr. Gina Loudon, is going to be premiering her new show. It's called Dr. Gina Primetime. It airs weekdays at 7 p.m. Eastern. It should be a great show with great guests, great insights, and also a lot of fun. So stay right here, and you can tune in every night, 7 p.m. Eastern, here on Real America's Voice to see Dr. Gina Primetime. Great to be with you again. We'll be back with you same time with Actionable Intelligence tomorrow night. Talk to you soon.